The Danakil Desert in Ethiopia is a, a strange and dangerous place. In fact, it's one of the hottest places in the world. It regularly reaches temperatures over 120 degrees. It's also home to active volcanoes, geysers that spew toxic gases, pools of acid waters. It's a place that one explorer called a land of death. In fact, on any given day in the Danakil Desert, you'll find dead birds and insects all over the place from the toxic fumes in the air. Uh, the, the carbon dioxide, the sulfur deposited in the air, makes it inhospitable to humans. Humans can't stay in the Danakil Desert long. So because of all those things, most of us would choose to admire this place from afar. Look at pictures. After all, it looks like the surface of another planet. But of course, of course, there are those people who want to go to the Danakil Desert. So there are scientists who like to go and study the environment. There are miners who go and extract the salt and sell it. But then, then there are those really adventurous people who decide that what they're going to do with those vacation days that they've saved up is they're going to visit the Danakil Desert. So in case you are one of those adventurous people, I want to let you know that it is highly recommended you do not visit the Danakil Desert without a guide of some sort. Or you go wading through some toxic waters or trip into some volcanic area. It's best to have someone there who knows what you should and shouldn't do, knows where you should and should not go. And in fact, there are tours you can take. But if you want my advice, don't go to the Danakil Desert. But if you do, make sure you have a guide. And really, in fact, this as a principle in life is true, that it's always wise for us to seek guidance and direction from someone who knows more than we do about a, an area or a subject or a potential situation we're going into. For example, we go on vacation, we might have a, a tour guide. Or we're going to explore a new business venture, we ask somebody who has more experience. Uh, maybe we're struggling in school, we go to somebody who has been in school longer, knows a subject area well. We, we're struggling in our relationships, so we go to somebody who has strong relationships. We seek out those with wisdom in what we need. And look, it's good for us to go to individuals that we trust, but there's an even greater source of wisdom that we should constantly seek out, believers, and that's God's wisdom. God, who's the source of all true and perfect wisdom, is always available to us in our situations, believers. But for some reason, there are times when we try and go it alone in our situations, without seeking God, without asking Him for wisdom. Like foolishly trying to navigate through an inhospitable place, we try and navigate through areas of life without seeking the one who knows where every pitfall is and how we can avoid them. Unfortunately, this is exactly what Joshua and Israel did, and we're going to find that today as we turn together to Joshua chapter 9, where we will find that they decided to go without God in their situation, and I pray we will learn today from what they learned on that day many years ago. Joshua chapter 9. Now, if you don't have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to use one of the Bibles under the chairs in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those, you can turn to page 175. Page 175, Joshua chapter 9. 
keep in mind as we get ready to look at the text that we saw last week in Joshua chapter 8, Joshua and the Israelites had just defeated Ai in battle, and then they went off and worshipped the Lord together, the Israelites did. So that is what is going on as we pick up in Joshua chapter 9, verse 1. It says this, Now when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, kings in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea, as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, they came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. So what did these nations hear about? Well, surely they heard about Israel's victory over Ai, and they probably also heard about Israel's defeat at the hands of Ai that had happened before that. And these nations in the promised land that were once melting in fear, now they're starting to think, Maybe they stand a chance against Israel. I mean, if the little town of Ai could get a win, just imagine what we could do. They're thinking if we all came together. So we're going to come back to that coalition of nations next week. And I hope you can join us for that. Let's pick up in verse 3. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread or their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, We have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. Now, this is pretty clever, right? Well, the Gibeonites knew that Israel was there to possess the land, which meant that Israel was going to be coming for their city soon, too. And they realized they didn't have a chance of winning. It also appears that the Gibeonites had an understanding that Israel was not going to make any peace treaties with any of these cities in the land. And that was true. God had commanded Israel in the past. They weren't supposed to make any covenants, any treaties with any of the nations in the promised land. And the reason for that is because God knew if those pagan, idolatrous, sinful nations lived alongside the Israelites, they would lead Israel astray into sin and idolatry. If you keep reading the Old Testament, and I hope that you will, you'll find, though, that that was true. So they weren't supposed to make treaties, but, but Israel was allowed to make treaties with nations outside the promised land, and that's who Gibeon was pretending that they were. And you know what? They did a pretty good job of it. Look at verse 7. The Israelites said to the Hivites, but perhaps you live near us. So how can we make a treaty with you? Well, we're your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, who are you? Where do you come from? And they answered, your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. We've heard the reports of him, all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan. Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Ah, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, take provisions for your journey. Go and meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Make a treaty with us. Well, this bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. But now see how dry and moldy it is? And these wineskins that we filled were new. But see how cracked they are. 
and our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Joshua and the leaders of Israel, they they started this whole thing out well. They were skeptical, as they should have been. They asked questions. They sampled the provisions of the Gibeonites, and the whole story seemed to check out. After all, their clothes did look worn out. The bread, the bread was dry and moldy. Now look, I eat sandwiches almost every day for lunch. You might see where I'm going with this. There have been some days where the sandwich was okay, and then I looked at the loaf and I realized that there were some moldy pieces in there. And maybe you have experienced this. And then you start to think to yourself, did I eat one of those moldy pieces of bread? And you realize the only way you'll know is if you get sick. And I started to think that loaf has been in the pantry for a while. Because if there's one thing we know about moldy bread, it's it's old bread. So Josh and the Israelites, they ask these questions. They do some probing. And you know what? They feel pretty good. Because on paper, this is a solid deal. I mean, they've got a couple victories under their belts in the promised land. They're going to make a peace treaty with a distant country. Things are looking good. But verse 14 brings the saddest statement of the whole chapter that they did not inquire of the Lord. How many decisions do we make in life, believers, where that same statement could be added to what we've done? Sometimes we become so confident in our own wisdom that we fail to ask God for his, forgetting that he's far wiser than us. We become so certain of the pros and the cons as we've weighed them out that we think prayer, prayer is a wasted time. Or we're so confident in a decision that we expect God to be in it without even asking him if he is. And sometimes, sometimes we don't ask God because the truth is we don't want him to lead us in a different direction we've already decided to go. Sometimes we don't ask because asking God for wisdom is just the last thing that's on our mind. Or we don't ask God because we're convinced that what we are about to do would please him. But you know what? Joshua was no doubt convinced that he was following God's commands. He was going to please the Lord. See, believers, despite all of our supposed wisdom in reasoning and planning, it is foolish for us to make plans without seeking the wisdom of God. I mean, whether those plans are big or small, why would we not consult the one who knows all things? I mean, despite what we think we know, he knows far more. We don't know what tomorrow holds. God does. We don't know the hearts of people. God does. He knew the hearts of the Gibeonites. He knows all things. And listen to this promise that we have in Scripture, church. Listen to this. James chapter 1, verse 5 says this. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. God has promised to give us wisdom when we go to him in faith and ask. So it would be quite foolish of us not to ask him. This is why it would be foolish. Look at verse 16. 
three days, three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. So the Israelites set out, and on the third day came to their cities, Gibeon, Ephira, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. And the whole assembly grumbled against the leaders. But all the leaders answered, we've given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. You know, when we go into situations relying solely on the faulty wisdom of people or ourselves, we often get frustrating results. And after pursuing their plan without God, Joshua and Israel realized, well, they've been tricked. Worse than that, there's no going back on their word. Sure, Gibeon lied, but it would only be multiplying sin if Israel was to now break the treaty, but also dishonor God in whose name they made this oath. Now Joshua and Israel, they were going to have to live with what they had done. In fact, many times after we pursue plans without God, we look back and we, we realize how foolish it was. We realize that you know, that was a destructive relationship I pursued. That was the wrong way to handle that situation. That was never a place that I should have gone. And then we find that we have to live with the results of those decisions. Now, it doesn't mean that God's grace, his mercy, and his love aren't still in our lives, but that just as God allows us to make decisions without him, he allows us to face the results of those decisions. Joshua's right. They couldn't break this treaty, or else Israel's going to face God's wrath for that. In fact, that happened many years later. Many years later, King Saul of Israel. 2 Samuel chapter 21, how a, a famine came on Israel for three years because of that. So right now, they had this nation that was going to permanently occupy some of the land that would have been theirs. This nation that did not know or have faith in the one true God. This nation that, as we'll see next week, Israel is now going to have to protect. And they could have avoided all these things if they had taken time to stop and ask God for guidance and direction. I mean, hadn't God proven himself to Israel time and time again? That he was there for them? He would tell them the way to go? Hasn't he proven himself in our lives time and time again? How he's there for us? So church, let's make sure that in our situations, we go to God in prayer. That we seek his will, that we seek his wisdom, and then that we wait on his timing for things. Now, sometimes that may mean that we're going to do something other than what we originally thought other than what we planned, but it will always mean making a better decision than when we go about our situations without God. But there's more for us to see. Look at verse 20. The leaders of Israel are speaking. They said this, this is what we will do to them. We will let them live so that God's wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. They continued, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers in the service of the whole assembly. So the leaders promised them was kept. Then Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said, Why did you deceive us by saying, We live a long way from you, while actually you live near us? You're now under a curse. You'll never be released from service as woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. To understand, Joshua knew that he couldn't go back on the treaty. Couldn't do that. 
That would bring God's wrath. But he also knew that Gibeon, Gibeon couldn't continue in the land as they had previously. As freely idolatrous, sinful people, free to spread sin into Israel. And there were going to be consequences for the Gibeonites. The consequence for them, for their deceit, is they were going to be woodcutters, water carriers for the house of God. See, wood and water were never the ones that do the work. That was the consequence for Gibeon. And you know what? They didn't argue against that. Look at verse 24. They answered Joshua, your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land. So we feared for our lives because of you. And that's why we did this. We're now in your hands. Do to us whatever seems good and right to you. So Joshua saved them from the Israelites, and they did not kill them. That day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the assembly to provide for the needs of the altar of the Lord at the place the Lord would choose. And that is what they are to this day. One author made the point that when you read the chapter, you almost admire the Gibeonites a little bit. Because if you think about it, in their mind, in their view, they didn't want to flee their homeland, but to stay was to face certain death. So they decided that instead they would trick Israel and cross their fingers in hope that Israel would be a people true to their word. And the gamble seemed to pay off. They were spared. Yeah, sure, they were going to have to be workers for Israel forever. It beats dying, right? So the question is, did the Gibeonites come out as the true winners in this whole thing? I mean, if the options were flee or die, did they find the hidden door number three, lie and survive? I was thinking about that a lot this week as I read the story, and I don't think that's the case. I think that the Gibeonites missed the best option. Rather than admire the Gibeonites, I, I pity them because they almost did the right thing. Just like Joshua and Israel, they almost did the right thing as they examined the Gibeonite provisions, but they failed because they did their, the things their way without God. And the Gibeonites failed because they did things their way without God. They told Joshua they knew what his mission was, and they feared for their lives. So what did they do in that fear? Verse 4 told us that they resorted to a ruse. But what would things have looked like if instead they had resorted to Repentance. I've said this many times in our series so far throughout the book of Joshua, that the nations in the land, they could flee, they could continue to rebel and face the consequence of death for rebelling against God, or they could repent and enter into Israel by faith. If you were here with us last week, you may remember that in chapter 8 it talked about the fact that there were foreigners in the midst of Israel. And more than that, if you've been here throughout our study, you might remember the story of Rahab, who was another Canaanite headed for God's wrath, but who heard about the things God had done, and she resorted to repentance and faith. There's a big difference between how Gibeon and Rahab responded and then what happened to them both. When Rahab responded in faith in God, that resulted in her becoming a part of the nation of Israel fully assimilated. She married an Israelite. She became an ancestress in the line of the Messiah. Gibeon responded by saying some flattering things about God, but never 
never giving any evidence of that genuine faith that Rahab had. Now their self-reliance, their deceit resulted in being cursed to become laborers. They didn't come ready to fall before God in faith to become a part of his people. They were just trying to save themselves. And like Joshua, they approached the situation without God. So did the Gibeonites really win out in the end? Sure, they succeeded in self-preservation, but they forfeited the immense freedom they could have had by becoming a part of God's people. They didn't want to give up their lifestyles. They wanted to continue on. But all those like Rahab who were willing to put faith in God, leave behind their lives of sin and idolatry, they entered into true freedom. The Gibeonites, right now, they're still an arm's length away. And they were going to have to live with the results of their own faulty wisdom. But that doesn't mean that they were without hope. I'm going to touch on that in just a minute. But first, believers, the truth is that sometimes we go into our situations without God. We don't seek him for the wisdom that he offers, the guidance that he promises. We don't depend on him the way that we should. And we need to understand that when we seek to do things relying on our imperfect wisdom, we shouldn't be surprised or angry when we get imperfect results. And many times, God allows us to live long with the consequences of those decisions. And maybe, maybe that's where some of us are right now. Maybe we examine our lives and we realize, we look around and we see the consequences of decisions we made when we didn't seek God out. We're still living with those results. Or maybe we're in the midst of something right now and we haven't sought God out yet, but we know, we know that we need to. For whatever reason, we haven't been willing to. If you're in one of those places, believers, I would encourage you to bring those things to the Lord. Lay them at his feet and ask him for the wisdom to navigate through those things right now. Our mistakes don't mean that God's grace, forgiveness, mercy, and wisdom are absent from our lives. And they don't mean that God cannot still work through us. As we're going to continue to see throughout the book of Joshua, God was still going to work mightily through Joshua and Israel, but they needed to learn from this mistake. We need to learn from our mistakes. Like when we approach situations without going to God first. I mentioned that even the Gibeonites, though, they weren't without hope. The Gibeonites experienced a great measure of God's grace. You may have already caught it as we read through the passage together because the work that they were going to be doing was focused on God's house. It's going to be focused on worship. That was what they were going to be a part of. That means that these spiritually lost people would now be brought very close to spiritual truth. They would have the opportunity to know all about the one true God. You see, God can still do great things through us believers, despite our mistakes. But we need to learn from those mistakes, and we need to go to God for direction in all things. So my encouragement to you, truth, this morning is this. Remember, remember this truth, church. It's that good plans without God's wisdom can result in great mistakes. Even our good plans, when we don't see God's wisdom, can result in great mistakes. But we don't have to go through situations this way. Going into our situations without God, it's an unnecessary thing for us to do because he's always available to us. So my prayer is that we would be a church and a people faithful to seek God out in every situation that we face and everything that is going on in our lives. And maybe, maybe there are some of us here who need to do that this morning before we leave. And believers, if that's true for you, then during this final time 
during our invitation song, I'd encourage you to go to the Lord in prayer. Maybe you want to come up and pray at the altar. Maybe you want to pray with me or find Pastor Brandon and pray with Pastor Brandon. Find one of our deacons at the back. We'd love to pray with you. Because we need to be people who seek God's wisdom. And maybe you're here today and Jesus Christ is not your Savior. And if that's true for you, my encouragement to you would be that the greatest thing you need to seek from God right now in your life is not His wisdom, but it's His forgiveness. That's what the Gibeonites needed. Let me explain what I mean. See, the Bible says the problem is that our sin, all the bad things we've done, are separating. Continue forever in a place called hell after this life if our sins are not taken care of. But we can't take care of our sins. No amount of good works can do that. I'm not going to church, joining First Baptist Church of Oxford. None of these things are going to make us right in God's sight. We're pretty hopeless on our own. That's the bad news. The good news is that in his great love for me and you, there is hope, just like there was hope for the Gibeonites. See, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. And Jesus came and died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins and mine. After Jesus died, he was buried in the grave. And three days later, he powerfully rose from the dead, proving he is who he said he is. He's the Savior. He's the Son of God. He's the only one who can forgive us of our sins and make us right with God. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Friend, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, understand that it's in the moment you do that you will receive the forgiveness of your sins. In the moment you do that, you will become a part of the family of God. All those things that the Gibeonites were missing, they needed to run to God for forgiveness. All the things that you are missing, you need to run to Jesus Christ for forgiveness. And we want you to know that you can do that today before you leave. Let's pray. Friend, if that's true for you, if you know that Jesus Christ isn't your Savior, but you're ready to change that, I hope you know that you can come up, you can talk to me during this final invitation song. We can pray about that together. We can talk about questions you have. But maybe you're ready right now to give your life to Jesus Christ. So I want to give you the chance to do that right now, wherever you're sitting, no matter what's going on in your life. I encourage you to go to Jesus Christ and admit to Him that you know you're a sinner. But that you know He died on the cross for you. That you believe He rose from the dead Ask Him to forgive you of your sins and give Him your life. And I promise you on the authority of God's Word that He'll save you, He'll forgive you, and He'll bring you into God's family. Dear Heavenly Father, for those of us who have made that decision, there are so many times when we choose to go about our situations in life without You. Forgive us when we do that. Sometimes we just get so impatient we want to do things our way. We just need to remember that your ways are always better. Your wisdom is always greater, and it's always available to us. Help us not to forget that. Help us to seek you out every day in every decision that we make. Father, there may be some of us here today who need to do that before we leave. We need to ask you for your guidance and your wisdom. I pray you would lay on each of our hearts what we need to ask you for. Father, I know that there may be some of us here who refused to do that recently. So we may need to run to you in repentance. Lay our mistakes at your feet. Ask for forgiveness and ask you to guide us in the things we're facing now. Father, however we need to respond, I pray your spirit would make very clear to us. And I pray that if there's anyone here that's still 
not sure where they stand with you, that is not certain that they have received your forgiveness, been made right with you, I pray they'd be willing to talk to me, talk to Pastor Richard, Pastor Brandon, someone before they leave this place. Father, we love you. But you prove day after day after day that you love us more. And we thank you for that. We pray you be glorified in our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.